Welcome to the Wisdom of Coaches podcast. I am Adam Rabo. Today I'm joined by Coach Faulting and Coach Persant, and we have a great podcast lined up for you today. Uh, we'll be addressing our question of the week, uh, as well as talking about some records and time trials that some high school uh, athletes from across the have been turning out. Um, the Blue Jean Mile that will be taking place tonight by a, a famous name. Uh, Coach Faulting will be talking about the Louisiana cross-country running rules that have been announced uh, in place for uh, the COVID pandemic. And then uh, we'll have a little uh, rundown with Persan on some practical advice uh, in dealing with an injury or just some type of um, bodily uh, enhancement. So <laughs> That's a great way of phrasing it. <laughs> All right. So uh, thank you guys for tuning in. We will let Coach Faulting uh, question, and I believe Persant's going to uh, pick it up first and just ignore my dogs barking in the background there. Nemesis, the mailman, is currently on the road, and they are not happy. So I like to, I like to think we're filmed before a live studio audience. Uh, yeah. It just happens to be Raybo's dogs. Two dogs, yeah. So uh, today, you know, if you look at things um, – uh, there's been some comments that this is a time where like high school athletes get to train like professionals because they, they haven't had a lot going on during the day. Um, so this question is specifically as it pertains to high school distance runners. Uh, but what do y'all feel uh, is the, the most neglected uh, aspect of training for high school kids? You know, as compared with, you know, professionals and college kids who do this for a living, that you know, get uh, kind of micromanaged throughout their day with what the training is. Uh, where do y'all feel high school kids, you know, are, are, are being neglected in terms of, of what they could be doing to be better runners? Well, so that's an interesting question. And I'm, I'm kind of choosing between one of these two. It's going to be either. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I had to pick one major one, it'd be nutrition because I feel like Agreed. a lot of, High school coaches are very into, all right, how are we going to train these kids? What kind of workouts are we going to do? How much mileage are we going to do? What kind of supplementary exercises will we do? So they focus on a lot of that stuff, which is great. But there's not a lot of focus on the nutrition aspect once the athletes are away from the coach. So one great example is actually you, Coach Faulting, because you have your athletes not drink soda or any like, you know, soft drinks during the season which is fantastic because that's a great way to prevent them from consuming too much sugar. But I feel like more coaches around don't do things like that like they should. And so my contribution to this answer is nutrition. So yeah, what do y'all think about that? I'd agree with that statement as a, as a runner who worked at McDonald's in high school and um, legally or not uh, ate a whole lot while he was working. Um, I would definitely say that it's difficult for your high school runners in terms of nutrition. A, you can't be there with them 24 hours a day. Um, you know, so even if they go home and their parents are cooking some, um, you know, good food, nutritious food, they may still be going out with friends and getting McDonald's or Burger King or Taco Bell, uh, which I am guilty of myself but you know it's, it's definitely not fuel for the fire so to speak of, of what you would be wanting to uh 
to put in their body. And then on top of that, you have a lot of student athletes who work at these places. You know, when we coached at Parkway, we had kids who worked at Sonic. Uh, McDonald's was right down the road. Burger King was right down the road. Taco Bell, you know, all these little fast food restaurants are along the strip. And so these kids are just, you know, leaving practice and going straight to work and where their food options are, you know, chicken nuggets or, you know, a hamburger. And, and most of them probably aren't going to opt for the salad. Um, so I, I definitely think. I'm sure Sonic serves a salad. <laughs> uh, I'm sure it's like a salad packed with like chicken nuggets and a gallon of ranch. <laughs> <laughs> Mozzarella sticks on top. <laughs> Mozzarella sticks. <laughs> so, well, I mean, uh, I agree with that stuff. You know, I, I, I'm thinking, you know, from a coaching standpoint, trying to evaluate, um, you know, different things that come up in our program. Um, I look at, uh, you know, I see a lot of coaches, and we talk about this some, that, that, that picked up, you know, Arthur Lydiard's book, and, you know, their programs are about just, let's just get a lot of mileage. Uh, you know, if you, if you run, you know, long and slow, you get stronger. And, uh, you know, I think that there's this big transition nowadays, like, to, for these teams that are being highly successful, that they're doing uh, sprint stuff, and they're doing sprint stuff often. Uh, you know, guys are running, you know, um, 30 meters, you know, all out, 40 meters all out. They're doing um, 150 progressions where you're doing jog, stride, sprint 50 meters all out. Uh, and I think that a lot of the people who uh, are kind of halfway in this sport, which, which there's a lot of people that are, you know, are neglecting that, that speed portion of things and understanding that, that there's a sprinter part to this that, that, that makes a difference in distance running. Um, I also look, you know, that same group of people, you know, there's a lot of people out there that believe that, you know, any kind of hard work that you do should be at race pace. And they just, dream, you know, at cross country race pace over and over again. And I think there are enough studies out there to show that, like, if you want to get a truly good runner, you got to, you know, look at training at paces that are um, slower than cross country pace and, and, and paces that are faster than cross country pace probably more so hitting those two realms than hitting the actual, you know, cross country pace itself. And I, I think some people are like, we're going to do mile repeats. You want to run 15 minutes, you, you, five minutes, you know, per mile. Um, you know, I think that plays a huge role. Uh, and then I, you know, definitely I think for, for some of the novice people, I think recovery just one of the biggest issues is people not understanding how much rest you need to give kids you know, during a workout and what that means for the workout. And then especially between workouts, you know, do you have an idea or are you just go and, you know, uh, this week, let's do a hard day Monday, let's do a hard day Tuesday and see what happens. You know, I think that, you know, that, that recovery uh, plays a big role, especially the fact that high school kids have so much going on. We're not really good at, at kind of predicting how much time they need to recover when they're cramming for AP exams and, and doing all those kinds of things. And so, uh, so those are kind of the big ones for me. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with all of that. I think, uh, you know, I can't remember which professional runner it was. And he said, and I'm paraphrasing, basically you need to hit like every pace once a week. So we flat out sprinting to slow, easy running. Um, and he, he said he would work that in, whether it be just some strides, uh, flat out speed, you know, middle of summer, you can still do some strides and it's not going to be, you know, causing you to peak or anything like that. Um, so definitely working on, you know, your different gears and it's not just either long, slow distance or, you know, all out sprint. Um, 
definitely think the, the I would agree with the race pace statement. Um, there's something to be said for doing some uh, under. So, you know, if you're training for a three mile or 5K, um, you know, doing some 200 meter, 400 meter repeats, even, you know, 300 meter repeats um, at mile pace and, and fast, you know, just something that's um, way over lactic threshold where they're just having to go. Uh, and then having some four and five and six mile tempos to where, you know, they're maybe a minute over their race pace or a minute and a half over their race pace. And they're really just having to focus sustaining an effort that's difficult but manageable and I think you put those two together and you're going to get a better race than if you just take a kid and say we're going to run three one mile you're going to run them at your race pace and we're going to give you you know three minutes recovery time mm -hmm. um, I think that's you know it's kind of one of those things that it's almost like the three by ten uh, weightlifting formula for football you know it's, it's just something that's been around forever that's kind of just become this <laughs> like de facto uh, way of doing things and it's not that it doesn't necessarily work it's just that it doesn't work that well in the grand scheme of things um and then you know what, what was your last point i'm sorry i'm blanking for a second i had something good to go on it and i went off on my recovery you know. recovery being a big part of, of what yes yeah as as you know working with high school athletes um high schoolers just sometimes have a difficult time understanding recovery. They, they have this feeling that if they're not training, then they're not improving. Uh, and recovery is just such an important aspect of that. I remember when I was trying to coach the, uh, the male throwers who were football players, um, they would lift third block and then they would come in after school and lift. And then I would go to the gym, uh, the local gym uh, in the neighborhood at night, and some of them would be in there lifting again. And they'd be doing the same exercises three different times. And I would just go, guys, what are y'all doing? Oh, well, we got to, you know, coach told us to lift as much as we could so that we can, you know, get bigger and stronger. But if you're not recovering, then you're, you're not improving. I have a, a note that's put on my desk, and this goes for everything in life. It's just a, a little, uh, you know, index card, and it just says stress plus rest equals growth and that's exactly what training is you have to introduce a stress whether that's high mileage whether that's a fast workout you have to have rest and then that's going to create you know your super compensation it's going to improve if you too much of either one of those you're not going to be improving or you're definitely not going to be improving as much yeah that's a good point and that actually brings up another question that when you're in high school and you're coaching high school students since they are, you know, sometimes doing different sports at the same time, how much should coaches interact with other coaches to figure out how to, I guess, balance workouts and sports? Because like, I don't think do. that's really done, is it? Way more than they actually do. Yeah, I mean, I, my follow-up to that would be how many coaches are willing to work with other coaches um, do those things. You know, um, I've been pretty blessed – uh, you know, we have multi-sport athletes, uh, like two years ago, uh, we had a tremendous number of girls soccer players on the cross country team. Well, I ended up taking over the girls soccer program. So it was a really nice transition to talk to myself about what was best for these athletes, uh, to do both of these things. You know, um, I think that, you know, distance running, there's a benefit for it for most sports. Um, you know, and so we've offered our services over the years to, to the wrestling program and work with those guys, the soccer programs work with those guys. You know, it, it just takes some coaches that don't have, uh, you know, egos or, or hurt pride to be willing to do some of these things. And, and then you can, yes, work together. 
Um, you know, but I have found there are sometimes coaches in the past that don't want to work with us. And when that happens and I've got an athlete that we're sharing, uh, I feel it's my duty to be the smart one in this. So if they're working, you know, too hard, let's say in, in softball, uh, then it's my job to kind of change their workout. So I'm not overstressing it. Cause I mean, ultimately, you know, I, I need a fresh athlete to be successful, you know, mm -hmm. so I might have to make some sacrifices in there for that. Uh, I'll tell you, uh, you know, an, an odd thing, I guess a new thing that's developing during this COVID-19, and uh, I was talking to um, uh, my chiropractor today, Dr. Bates at Bates Chiropractic about this. Um, you know, we, you know, I told y'all last week that Gabe had done something to his glute, uh, and Gabe is getting healed up, but when we were talking today, uh, Dr. Bates and I, he said that uh, what he's noticed is because of the fact that there's so much free time now, people aren't going to school, people aren't, you know, changing classes and moving around and going to lunch and going to you know, not necessarily recess, but, you know, the little hangout time at school. So that uh, they're not really activating their glutes anymore. And what's happening now that he's having to treat a lot with is that kids are going uh, in because, you know, from those glutes not being used, now when they're trying to run, their hamstrings being activated first. And so they're getting these uh, hamstrings firing that are hurting the glute muscle or changing the way they run. And, uh, and I'd never considered that, but, you know, we're in a time – uh, in history where people could be the most stagnant they've ever been able to be because <laughs> you know? I mean we're not having practice or anything so I mean a high school kid going to run you know even for 60 minutes you know if they're getting a longer run or 90 minutes they're getting a longer run that's still leaving you know 22 23 hours in a day where they could just sit around and do nothing you know so we're going to see some some injuries and some stuff when we get back to meeting with them they're going to be uh, uh, different than we've been used to before just from some of the, the effects of, of laying around the house all dang day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, I, I know I agreed with both of y'all and y'all's points. I don't know that I, I would 100% have picked both of y'all's answers as my answer as what the high school kids were, were not getting enough of. Um, but I'll, I'll tack on that. Um, I think one of the big things, and I know this is something we've tried in the past to work on some, uh, but kind of the mental aspect, um, you know, making athletes competitors. Um, my dog is going crazy at the moment. <laughs> One second. Let's see if I can get this dude to calm down. <laughs> All right, I muted that. I hope no one heard me screaming at him. Um, <laughs> But the, the mental aspect, uh, I know that's something that we've uh, struggled with with some of our athletes where you have these kids that uh, can sometimes just turn into basket cases. And I think that's something that is teachable, it is workable. Uh, you know, it, it's a, a muscle that has to be trained. You have to develop some of these athletes and you have to develop some grit in them. You have to teach them that, you know, they have to trust in themselves and go. And I think that's something that's kind of overlooked. I think a lot of times, you know, you start talking to other coaches of our sports and they're like, Oh, well, you know, that kid's a fighter and that kid, you know, he just has it. He always is family. He comes from fighters and, you know, that's great. But I do think it's something that's a teachable skill. It's something that, you know, it's better. You don't any more than, you know, you have it or you don't to be a good distance runner. Um, we definitely have taken athletes who are not the greatest distance runners in the world or, you know, look like they're not going to, have trained them up and obviously a talented kid is going to be better but you can still take somebody who uh you know maybe a little timid and, and not sure of themselves and, and develop them into an athlete that's, that's confident and can line up on the line and 
and go after some people who before they may have thought, you know, they had no business, you know, racing against and beating. So I definitely think the mental aspect, I would have said nutrition 100%. I agree with you on that. The other thing I think is a kind of strength component. Um, I know that we have spent a lot of time trying to implement some strength training in there. Um, I've had, you know, local runners, uh, lambast me for going to the weight room uh, as a runner telling me oh you're just gonna be a mid-pack guy with a you know a good body which I spent years in the weight room and never got a good body so I don't know what they're referring to um, the mid-pack thing isn't necessarily wrong though um, <laughs> but you know you look at you know programs like the Oregon Project that's now defunct but I mean he had them lifting and lifting heavy uh, I just read a thing on podium earlier the other day that was uh, going through a week of what Jared Ward's training looks like right now uh, and the guy was back squatting 195 pounds for three reps. I mean, that's that's a lot for a marathoner. That's not something where it's a guy going out and putting 95 pounds on the bar and, and repping times, which is, I think, what a lot of people think of when they think, oh, we need to strength train our runners. No, they're already getting endurance strength training. They need, like, strength training. They need lifting weights and lifting heavy weights, uh, which is something that we really took our athletes and, and you know, did and, and – did well, I think. We, we were taking athletes who uh, we turned into incredible 400-meter um, runners that were, you know, cross-country runners or incredible jumpers that were cross-country runners uh, simply off of a, a, a solid strength training program. So I think that's something that often gets overlooked, and I think part of it's just time. You know, cross-country teams can be huge. You know, some of these teams are 50, 60, you know, boys and 50, 60 girls, and if you're the coach of both, trying to get them in the weight room on, you know, around football teams and baseball teams and all that it can be difficult but it's definitely something where the injury prevention and the strength gains that you're going to get um, is is worthwhile yeah I think I think I'm the proudest of uh what we were able to develop with our weight program uh for several years kind of ex experimenting going to, to meet and talk with people um you know reading a lot of books on things you know but but just the idea that you know when you're running, the, the amount of force that's being generated when you, you know, have contact with the ground and the amount of force that you can create propelling off of the ground, you know, obviously should make you, you know, better runner if you can increase that force, you know, and so uh, doing the things we did in the weight room are just incredible. I mean, but God, I look at, look at Galen Rupp, you know, this year working with Mike Smith. I mean, he's even in interviews talked about how he wanted to change, you know, uh, Galen's training and his structure in the weight room. And that guy put on a couple of pounds, you know, of muscle and, and dominated, you know, our Olympic trials and stuff. I mean, looked probably fresher than he looked, you know, making the Olympics before uh, and stuff. I mean, so, I mean, there's something to be said about uh, some of that and, and maybe – uh, not just relying on general strength, but looking at the formula behind, you know, force and what you can bring to the table with that. Uh, so, I mean, I think force is a huge issue. You know, going to your, your you know, the mental aspect of things, Ray, but I think the biggest thing for athletes to understand is that you learn in the struggle. Uh, and if you're going to be, you know, somebody who wants to really learn, you've got to be willing to fail without, you know, that just blowing up your world. You know, and, and we try to teach it to kids all the time. Like, you know, if, if I take you to a big meet somewhere that's not our, you know, state competition, uh, you know, that, you know, you go out there and you try to run to PR. And if you don't, you, you know, crash and burn. Go, go out there and swing for the fences. You know, a regular season race doesn't hurt if you lose. 
you know. So if, if we take our team, you know, from Bossier City, Louisiana, to to Mobile for the meet of champions, and you know, I'm lining up a kid for the two mile. I don't want to watch that kid run the same time they ran here in town. I want that kid to go after it. And if they can't, you know, hit, you know, some kind of PR, that's okay. We'll go back and get to work. And we'll figure out what to do next. You know, the the proudest moments I've had in my coaching career probably come from kids losing races more than winning races. You know, we had a girl this year at the state meet um, in indoor, you know, the last state meet we got to have, uh, who she PR'd every meet in indoor this year. And we got to the state meet and we started looking and going, okay, look, the only way to, to win the state meet uh, is to, to run the race in a certain way, you know, take the lead out, try to run the legs out of some of the, the sitting kickers. And I said, and, and, you know, just know that you're going to take that risk. We, we could run it simple and get third place and be on the podium, or you can take the risk and try to get first. And, uh, you know, that kid ended up getting fifth at the state meet, but she led uh, through uh, 1,400 meters <laughs> you know, and, and kept the race honest. And when she got back to me, you know, I gave her a high five and a hug and was like, that was awesome, you know. And, and a lot of kids, if I'd have said that too, would have broke down and crying or misunderstood what I was talking about. But she got what, what I was selling. You know, she was like, oh, coach, yeah, I, you know, I went for it. You know, that was the best I could do today. Uh, I, I feel confident, you know, and that I gave it my all, you know, to try to go for gold. And that kid's going to be okay. That kid's going to be somebody we look up next year and is going to be in the same situation and is going to win that race because she's mentally prepared to do that because she learned in the struggle. Absolutely. I mean, we've, we've talked before, you know, uh, I remember when we were at pre a few years ago and we were watching the, um, the, you know, the, the main mile race and there was a couple of high schoolers in there. Um, I can't remember who it was at the time. Uh, one of them, I think they were supposedly thought was going to potentially make a run at Allen Webb's record, which did not happen. Um, but I, I do vividly remember it was the, the other miler, uh, high school runner, um, going into the last lap, probably about 300 to go. And he was sitting on Leo Manzano, who at the time was maybe two years or three years uh, removed from being the uh, silver medalist in the, the 1500 at the Olympics. And I just remember watching that kid pull out and then pass Leo Manzano and then beat him. And I just thought, man, what guts for a high kid to be on the silver medalist from the Olympics and just think, I can pass this guy and beat him. And I think that's a mentality that like, obviously not every high school kid's going to have because not every high school kid's going to be able to do that, but you got to be able to look at somebody in a race. And for the most part, if you're on a cross country, some the same guy as two, three, four times throughout the season. And so you have to be able to look at someone who's beat you a couple of times and think today's my day today. I'm going to with 200 meters to go and I'm going to drop them. And you got to be able to do that. And, you know, that's one of the things that you look at these state championship runners. I remember one time we had Hayden Kingfisher, and he was just looking at a bunch of guys at a cross-country meet. And I was standing next to him talking to him, and he was just like, I'm going to beat every single one of these kids. And I kind of was like, man, this kid's a little cocky. And I got talking to my good friend Alan, who was also a, a state cross-country champion, and he was like, you got to be a little cocky to be a, a state champion, man. He's like, you got to be on a line. And you have to look at other people and think, I can beat every single one of these guys. Because it doesn't mean you have to be full of yourself. He's like, but you just have to understand that you're better than them when it comes to this race. And I think a lot of athletes kind of struggle with that. Uh, and, I'm, you know, I'm not sure if that's like a sign of the time. So the, uh, 
the everybody gets a trophy thing or, or whatnot. But, you know, I think a lot of athletes just have trouble competing uh, when it comes down to it. Well, I think we can all agree that uh, I don't think anybody accidentally wins the state title uh, as an individual. I, I think that the, the people that are going to win it, if nothing else, believe that they, they can win it. You know, and so if you want to coach successful kids, you've got to get them to where they believe that they can be successful because you're not going to accidentally, you know, fall into winning. You know, yeah. So. And one last thing, I think, before we go on on the, on the weightlifting, you know, um, I know I've shared this with you guys. One of my favorite podcasts on weightlifting, it's actually uh, the Tim Ferriss show uh, where he interviews uh, the, the podcast title is The Savant of Speed. Um, it's Ryan, I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, Flaherty or Flaherty. Um, who works with uh, Nike. He was actually one of the guys who put together the uh, Nike Training Club app. Um, he used to have his own um, kind of speed clinic. Uh, he said he always laughs because his dad calls him a personal trainer, um, but he, he's definitely a lot more than that. And so he kind of worked with uh, figuring out that you could do a, a hex bar deadlift and how much you could do for a one rep max directly correlated with how much force you were able to do off a plate. And he said, I've done a hundred different exercises. I did back squats, I did lunges, I did front squats, I did Romanian deadlift and, and none of these really added up to this. And so he was talking about how he's trained, you know, the, the Williams sisters, how he's training gymnasts, how he's training track, how he's training football players. Uh, but then he goes on to talk about how he worked with Meb and it was right before Meb actually won Boston. And that was one of the things he talked about where Meb was kind of skeptical about it but he had him deadlifting like heavyweight and, you know, doing five reps, three reps. And look like, you know, the thing is you don't want to add mass because if you can increase strength and not increase mass, then you're going to be faster. Now, if you increase mass and strength, then you know, it's going to be kind of a stalemate. Um, but with Meb, you know, he was working. It's like, you know, over a marathon, you take this many steps. And if I can increase his stride by like this many inches or like, you know, over the course of the marathon, he's going to run one mile less just in steps alone. And he, he said he got to work with Meb for, you know, a month or two. And then right after that, Meb went and, uh, you know, won Boston. So I think that's probably something that, that definitely helped and definitely did not hurt him uh, when he went out and uh, did that that day. So if you're interested, go check that out. It's a great podcast. Uh, some of Tim Ferriss' stuff is a little hit or miss for me. Uh, but, you know, definitely that's one of, one of my favorite ones. I re-listen to it every now and then. Yeah, I guess we can avoid his, his LSD uh, talks and his stoicism, but uh, <laughs> you know, there, there's some good stuff he's putting out there. Yeah. Well, all right, guys. So now comes the time where we're going to hit on a few different topics. Uh, a lot of big things have been happening in the high school running world this week, uh, despite the fact that there hasn't really been a track season to speak of. So uh, we're going to talk about some time trials that took place. Um, across the country that have led to some records, um, some near records, and, uh, you know, maybe some records that the Let's, Let's Run running board are uh, going to say aren't records because, well, it's a, <laughs> it's a hot mess there. So, Balting, which one do you want to kick off with? Uh, you know, I, I think let's, uh, let's go right to, to the history maker. You know, out of all these accomplishments uh, that we have listed here, I mean, the fact that only 11 people have ever broken four in the mile as high schoolers. Um, and I believe this is only the third guy to do it racing strictly high schoolers. Um, but let's talk about uh, Leo Doshbach and his 359 
um, mile. All right, I think that's a uh, that's an interesting part for us to start off with. So, yep. uh, so do you guys know um, uh, how this thing was was set up here? I, I do not. I, I definitely saw some stuff from FlowTrack uh, talking about it, and uh, I think one of the greatest pictures was a picture of him just on the track uh, throwing up Gatorade all over the track with like a, a Prefontaine <laughs> quote, which the first thing that popped in my head was like your voice going like, don't throw up on the track, throw up in the grass. Like, I know, it was almost mildly offensive that he threw up like on the actual track, uh, and it's it's cool when you see somebody kind of give it their all. I mean, I'm always impressed. You, know, you watch these Olympics and people, I mean, finish, you know, winning gold in like the 5K, you know, closing something crazy, and then immediately grab the flag and take off running again. I mean, this kid, there wasn't <laughs> anything left at the end. Uh, but uh, in order for you to get recognized as a record, um, you know, there are certain rules that have to come into play. You've got to uh, start the race with at least six people. Uh, you've got to have uh, either a rail on the curves or uh, have it coned off got to be FAT'd. Uh, you know, these guys uh, were trying to keep social distancing available. So if you watch the video, they actually uh, do like a one-turn stagger almost uh, so that everybody could start six feet apart during this. Um, they had to keep it a secret on where the location was so they didn't violate like the uh, social distancing by having a bunch of fans show up to watch this track meet. So it was kind of incognito uh, for a little while. They said, uh, some of the kids kind of had no idea what the details were going to be. They had other uh, runners that they kept working in and out. Like some said they were going to make it, some said they couldn't. Uh, so it was this just crazy, you know, uh, collection of things that had to happen for this to work. Uh, and then they did get a pacer to go out there. However, uh, all they had access to at the time was a, was a high school pacer. So if you look at, uh, you know, this sub four attempt, it's probably even more impressive based on the paces. Um, Leo opened in 60.78. Uh, uh, his next lap was a 102. His next lap was a 59. And his final lap was a 56.8. Uh, in fact, uh, the entire field came through the 1200. Uh, supposed to come in around three minutes. They ended up coming in at 302 mid to high. You know, so, I mean, it, it, it's an impressive endeavor to, to have not lost focus or confidence knowing that uh, – your, your pacer kind of set you up for an odd deal uh, before coming back to close, you know, to, to become the 11th kid to do this. Yeah, I think that having the, the ability in it, knowing that, you know, I need to run 56 seconds on my last 400, if he was even thinking that. Um, I mean, he may have <laughs> crossed the line and, and just went for it. But I'm sure most high schoolers, especially high schoolers of that caliber, are generally self-aware and, and they need to be able to do and so I'm sure when he hit that um, <coughs> going into the final lap he was fully aware that he needed to um, to run 56 seconds and, and his ability to do that is, is pretty astounding to me. Definitely so I know one question that's going to come up a lot with people is if the pacer was even throughout the entire race would anyone else have broken four or not and I don't know actually what do y'all think about that? I mean Every kid in the race PR'd, um, which is impressive. Uh, but, uh, you know, again, if, if a kid's more of a strength runner, I mean, obviously a, a group of them came across in 302. Only one of them had the ability to close in 56. 
Uh, I think one of them closed in 60, the others closed in 63, you know, mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, the kid who can close in 60, you know, maybe he's hitting 60s the whole time. He's got a chance to, to, to do that. Um, to me, I mean, that's a lot of pressure to put on a high school kid to be pacing that race right. uh, for those kids to break four minutes. I, I, I can't imagine there was, I hope that kid was wearing brown shorts. Uh, <laughs> it, it could have got interesting. <laughs> yeah, I did see uh, on the uh, one Let's Run post at the asterisk next to the record because they each started in lanes as opposed to waterfall start, which I think is just mind-numbingly stupid to even bring that up. Uh, I don't think a waterfall start would have would have changed anything. If anything, that would have allowed him, you know, people right off the bat. I mean, you can get jostled around and tied up, but if a kid drops a 56 on the last lap and he needed to drop a 55, I, I have all faith in that, you know, and Leo, they done what he needed to, but I don't see him losing a second um, from a waterfall start to, to starting in lanes. To me, that seems a little um, – and I believe they like coned it off and measured it so that there was no no advantage or disadvantage taking place with that. They they agreed to start it like that so they could meet the the California social distancing guidelines. Uh, which I mean, again, we're in a weird time. People ought to be able to take some of that into <laughs> account when we're looking at these kids, you know, putting in the work to do this. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I think Doshbach was the kid. He was from Arizona, even like he had to travel to a quarantined state to find a private track because all public tracks are closed in the state that was willing to host this. I mean, a, a lot went into this. So, mm -hmm. I mean, to throw the asterisks down, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just dumbfounded by the idiocy of some people with this. To be fair, Raybo and Fulting, in that thread on Let's Run, everyone else was bashing the person who actually decided to post it, who was Rojo one of the two founders of Let's Run, <laughs> and uh, eventually his brother, Weldon Johnson, Weejo, chimed in and said, no, it counts, and yeah, so. Well, and I guess, <laughs> are you sure that's not Rojo? <laughs> oh, is it? Well, it's, uh, oh, it's, it's Robert Johnson, so I don't know how you want to pronounce that, but, uh, but it does, you know, lead us to our second <laughs> runner. Um, you know, this happened earlier in the week, and, and immediately, the the post itself, not the message board, the actual post on this run had the asterisk spot. Uh, but Bryn Brown, uh, a junior female runner in high school, uh, just you know, time trial nine thirty nine point six seven for thirty two hundred meters. Uh, it's the second fastest in history, only behind Mary Kane. Uh, and they they threw up the asterisk quickly um, because you know she was. Uh, they were hand timed. Although there's a video that you could you could probably go out and and using you know uh, video cues on your computer could could time it to the millisecond. Uh, and she got uh, a male pacer uh, to come and lead her through that. And so instead of celebrating the fact that this kid did something just ridiculous in my mind uh, during this quarantine, with you know out being able to see her coach for ten weeks, uh, trying to follow social guidelines so you only get the one pacer you get a coach standing off in the corner um, with a stopwatch uh, we're not celebrating this 939 we're being critical of uh, of why it wasn't set up perfectly you know mm -hmm. and I mean this girl being a junior I mean I, there won't be an asterisk next year when you know if she's healthy she absolutely destroys these records uh, 
I don't know if y'all saw it, but they did four by mile all in under five minutes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it just blew my mind. But, I, you know, it, it, it just bugs the crap out of me that we're, we're in a sport that's dying to get positive attention. We're always hearing these things about if we don't grow this sport, you know, track's going to shut down, you know, and then we have these kids do these amazing things. And instead of celebrating it and advertising it, build it up, get people more involved in our sport, we're, we're hammering it, putting an asterisk on it like they're Barry Bonds hitting you know, 70 hours. <laughs> well, the, the problem is, is half the people on the Let's Run who are complaining about it probably couldn't run a 932 mile with a gun to their head. So, you know, I, I get it to a certain extent because it's a male pacer, yada, yada. You know, Paula Ratcliffe went through the same. She set the marathon world record. Uh, that she set it uh, in a mixed race where there were men and women. And so for a while, I think they invalidated her record. And then they came back and validated it later, which now, of course, it, it's recently been beaten, um, possibly thanks to, uh, you know, the, the Nike Alpha Fly or, or 4% or Next% percent or whichever shoes um, the, the girl was wearing. But, you know, if, if guys can go to Prefontaine Classic, high school guys, and race with Kiprup and Leo Manzano and Centrowitz and, and have freaking Olympic medalists pacing them, then I think a girl can have like a high school guy or college guy or whoever pacing her for a two mile. I, I don't think that diminishes what she did in any way, shape or form. I think it's just completely ridiculous for somebody to look at what she did and go, ah, this is, you know, this is bunk because she had a guy do it. Um, it's bunk because there was just two of them. Like, you know, for people in the race, what's that do exactly? I mean, how many other people would have been running that pace? Or if you'd stuck a bunch of other guys in there, it may have been easier for her because then she could have just set on more people. I mean, it was literally her and one other person, to my knowledge, and it was just her racing them. And, and if it's a guy, if it's a girl, it doesn't matter. She still ran 9.39 for two miles. And, yeah, I agree with you 100%. FAT time, the video, round it up, whatever you need to do. Worst case scenario, she ran not one. Good God. I mean, that's still incredible. So well, I think, I, you know, just with how much the sport needs uh, to just nitpick over this stuff is completely stupid. Well, I mean, I, la I mean the, uh, the last two girls I coached that won uh, state championships in the 3200 uh, for Parkway, I, the seasons that they won – we started making deals at local track meets for them to race in the boys division. And, you know, we, we told them like, look, we don't care if you, if you score it for the meet, we don't care if they get a medal on the girl's side for the meet, we're just here to get faster, you know, and us lapping, you know, all the girls in the field wasn't doing anything for us, you know? So when we jumped in some of these boys races, you know, it, it helped those girls, at least on Louisiana level, meet a standard, uh, you know, that, that helped them win, you know, state championships. And, and believe you me, I'd rather them have raced against boys where that counted or not to get the right mindset and the right push to do what they were able to do at the state meet. So, I mean, I can live with that 100%, you know. <clears throat> and I guess that brings us to the third group of people. Uh, Newberry Park uh, did a, a time trial. Uh, they did hire an FAT company to time it. Uh, they did have it coned off. They did find a track that they had access to in California during all this. Uh, and they had uh, three guys. Uh, uh, Jace Osbritter uh, ran 844. Uh, Billy Atkinson went 857. 
Nick Goldstein ran 905 and they were paced through 2,800 uh, meters uh, by Nico Young, who uh, previously ran 840. So you're talking about a school that has an 840, an 844, an 857, and a 905 uh, all on their team, with two of those guys coming back next year, uh, along with some freshmen that they believe can, could have possibly uh, run low nine or broken nine this year. So is this a – is this an incredible team and should we be celebrating this or should we throw an asterisk because it was a time trial? <laughs> I mean, Nico Young also 756, 3000. Uh, so what a, what an incredible talent to have pacing you. Um, and I don't know if there's Hoka, um, you know, where you, you post your teams two mile, uh, but my God, I don't know that there would have been anybody taking on these guys this year. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so postal cool. championships, that was a uh, that was. We could definitely win the postal out of this deal, I would think. Yeah, mm -hmm. but so here's something that I was thinking. We actually were talking about this before we started recording this podcast. Um, all these high school athletes that are throwing down these awesome times, which is great, but does it show that we're focusing too much on the short-term development and what can they do now versus the long-term development of can we make them better in the future? See, so, I would argue something slightly different. Um, I think what it possibly shows is what the benefits are of, of unadulterated training for committed kids. So they, these kids aren't beaten down and worn down because they had to race every week and had to, to win, you know, X number of events to help their team get a trophy or something like that. These kids have gone 10 weeks of just training, you know, living the life of, of basically a professional runner uh, mm -hmm. to get to see the benefits of that. You know, I, I, I wonder if people should look at this and maybe come up with the idea of, you know, train more, race less, because we're starting to see, you know, proven efforts from this. You know, uh, uh, I, I was blessed, you know, our number one girl, Jocelyn Crosby, uh, time trialed after her 10 weeks of training and um, shaved seven seconds off of her mile best, uh, running with an 11 mile per hour wind and 84% humidity, uh, you know, in the last week of, of May, you know, and I think that I don't have very many kids that could have done what she did, but because she was so dedicated, motivated, and willing to use that 10 weeks the proper way, you know, you're getting these incredible results out of these kids, you know, mm -hmm. um, and, and, I know, and I think some of these people have been pretty smart, you know, I, I don't know that uh, if you look at uh, the uh, Bryn Brown, they seem to be doing a lot of really intense workouts. Uh, I'll be anxious to see with so much intensity right now what cross country season looks like, um, you know, but when you look at like the Newberry Park kids, uh, this was it. This is their last thing and they're shutting it down. Uh, Jace is going to run for the University of Colorado. Um, they have they have not time trialed Nico in anything, and their their goal is to uh, try to get him to break the the high school 5K record of Galen Rupps. Uh, they're looking to have uh, Nico you know beat 1337. Uh, but even while they're chasing that dream, they've got a time limit on them. Uh, you know, Coach Brosnan talked to me the other day, and <laughs> if Nico can't run uh, a 5K by June 6th. Uh, rather than punish, you know, Northern Arizona next year when they're getting this kid as a freshman, they're just going to shut it down and turn it over to, to, to NAU, you know. And so um, I, I think a lot of these things are being pretty responsible. 
in terms of this. I think we're just seeing these incredible results from a, a finite group of people that were willing to be dedicated to this just crazy situation. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think, you know, coming from Louisiana's situation, if you look at like a professional, typically have kind of two seasons. And it, it depends on what they're doing. Um, but, you know, you have your your kind of summer buildup in your fall season, whether that's a marathon or cross country or, or whatever it is. Uh, and then they kind of shut it down for a couple of weeks. And then they have a, a winter buildup and then, you know, a spring or summer season of track. Uh, and we mimic that somewhat at the high school level. But I think indoor track can certainly get in the way if you let it, you know. Um, I think there's definitely probably a lot of coaches who are, you know, instead of trying to build indoor season, are racing these kids all the time and are doing workouts. And, you know, if, if you take a two-week break around Thanksgiving and you, you put in, you know, four weeks of, uh, of work in December or, you know, some of these are, are competing in, you know, Nike uh, cross-country races well into December, so they're two weeks then. And you're not doing much of a build in January, February. You're, you're hammering on workouts so that they can go win a state indoor title, and then they're turning around in March, April, May are hammering hard workouts. To me, you're just not getting the second build that they should be getting. Uh, so I, I think a lot of these kids right now who are hitting these time trials, they're getting that – that second build of the of the year that they otherwise wouldn't be getting that they'd otherwise so I think running you know six seven eight nine races over the season and you know one and they're able to be healthy and they're able to be fresh and I think that, that that's why we're seeing a lot of this of course it's a lot of talented individuals um, it's people who are putting their head down and, and training through tough times but I think it's just coming down to athletes being able to kind of how they should be instead of being you know nose to the grindstone so I think it I think it takes smart coaches too I think that you know um like we had committed to Jocelyn was going to run her time trial uh we were going to try to get the best weather we could get for the situation but uh but we had a limit on what day was going to be our last day to possibly do it and so you know if we'd have gone out there and Jocelyn you know uh, had run 530 instead of 516 uh for her junior year we were still going to walk away from that. We weren't going to go and, and be like, well, now we need to go try another one. Uh, I think whatever the Newberry Park boys did uh, the other night, uh, that was going to be it. You know, they weren't going to go, oh, well, you know, we all ran over nine minutes. Let's see if we can set up another one. You know, they, they had a plan. And, and if you get intelligent coaches, you know, you can, you can chase a time without – chasing a time I guess would be you know you're seeing what you can do with your best but if something goes wrong you're not gonna you know throw it out the window and try to try to keep pushing for that you know and, and I think the kids who struggle and we've you can see these you can look at people posting things are some of these coaches are let's let's do a time trial a week you know this week we're gonna do this this week we're gonna do this as if that's gonna generate some sort of speed or give you something to hang your hat on and instead, all its students kind of get in the way of growth of these athletes. You know, so. Right, because I remember, Coach Fulton, you said that you heard a coach once say that their job wasn't to coach an athlete for long-term development. It was to coach them to win. Right. And they didn't really care whether or not they would, you know, do well in college because they're a high school coach. Why should they care about that? They should win now. But uh, you're not that kind of coach, which is great. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think, you know, part of the success that we have as coaches is if you can look up, 
you know, after a kid leaves your program and they're still able to find some success, uh, you know, a, a lot of that's going to the next guy that coaches them, but you like to think you gave that guy, hopefully a kid that's well-developed and prepared for whatever the next level is. Um, you know, right. I mean, we've probably, there are probably times we could have, have won, you know, an, another uh, individual state championship or something like that if we were willing to push these kids too hard. Um, but I just think that there's a, there's a cutoff point for that. And, that, you know, you got to save something for the next guy so that your kids continue to see, you know, growth as they go through uh, their careers. Yeah, I mean, we've definitely seen, you know, incredible high school runner going on college and then falling to the wayside. Um, and, you know, is it because college was too much or is it because they were trained so hard in high school that by the time they got to college, they were, you know, kind of peaked and, and broken down to a certain extent. So I fully believe that as a high school coach, you, you should be training them well and you should, you know, not be doing gonna you know run these kids you know 20 miles a week or 25 miles a week that they need to be doing mileage and they need to be doing long runs and they need to be doing tempo runs and, and things of that nature but at the same time you don't want to take a kid and run them 100 miles a week as a high schooler because you know as if you get them as a college coach what stimulus can you possibly hide to improve them i mean are you going to have them run fast and run 120 miles a week uh it's sustainable. I think it, part of being a, a good high school coach is leaving something in the tank for the next person to work with. You know, you could you could milk it for all it's worth, and you know, maybe you take a kid and they go to you know Nike Nationals. But at the end of the day, if they then move on and they're not able to do anything because they were ran so hard in high school, did you do that kid a favor? Or did you do yourself a favor? And if the question is you did yourself a favor, then I don't think that's good coaching because that's not going to be sustainable. All right. So um, a, a familiar name is about to pop up again with a, uh, I, another record attempt uh, tonight. The blue jean mile will be taking place on a high school track in Oregon, I believe. Um, none other than Nick Simmons, the, uh, two-time Olympian, not two-time Olympian medalist, as men's health uh, claim. Um, <laughs> world medalist, silver medal, I believe. Um, we'll be attempting the Blue Jean Mile, which just sounds like a chafing nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Do we know any details about how big these jeans are? <laughs> They, they did not look like skinny jeans when he, he took a picture of on his Instagram. They, they look okay. like pretty normal jeans. We're, we're not talking bell bottoms, but we're not talking skinny jeans either. I would, <laughs> if I was doing this tights underneath and I would have done this in the winter, um, so it, to each their own. Um, I'm not sure. Do jorts count in your opinion? The, like this is a blue <laughs> jean mile. It has to be. Aww. So, first um, off, no one should even own jorts. For <laughs> I would have to buy them. <laughs> those, those shouldn't exist at all. What, what is the current blue jean world record? Do we know this? Uh, that's, that's a good question. Let me look it up. Yeah, because I kind of wonder. But, you know, while we were investigating this, I, I, I do wonder, it begs the question for Prasant there, like, does the cut of jean make a difference? You know, if you were wearing, um, <laughs> you know, uh, skinny jeans, I mean, I, I would guess the chafing's maybe a little bit less if you're if you're not having huge thighs, uh, you wouldn't be rubbing against each other. But you know, or is a is a loose fit jean or a boot cut or something better for this? Well, uh, I can say from experience when I, I I used to 
I like dancing. Okay, I'm, I'm a dancer. And uh, the type of pants I'm wearing make a difference on the moves I can do on the dance floor. And I'll leave it at that. Uh, okay, so what <laughs> which, uh, which jean cut would you suggest for this persona? The looser, the better. Simple <laughs> enough. <laughs> but they still, but they still make jinkos. You know, when I was in high school in the 90s, you know, they had those jinkos that were like just these huge uh, pants. They, they were only tied at the waist. And then uh, they, they were like bell-bottom flared, but they were bell-bottom flared like at the pocket. And they just stayed <laughs> flared until the very end. Like, just, I wonder if, you know, they were like the parachute pants of jeans, if maybe they would help you get the blue jean mile. <laughs> All right, so I do have the record here. Uh, let's, let's get best guesses here. So, Prasant, blue jean mile rec world record, what do you think? Uh, 425. All right, faulting? Uh, I, I'm going to take over on that. <laughs> Like slower than 425. Well, you're incorrect. 411.8. <laughs> Nick Simmons can't run a 411 mile right now. In <laughs> he can't run a 411 mile with no clothes on, let alone with blue jeans on. I don't. I, I think this is less him going for a world record and, and more just kind of uh, good marketing for Run Gum and possibly Jim Shark. Um, he's been maybe, just, uh, maybe he should make pants out of Run Gum. And run wearing those. <laughs> How much run gum would you have to chew to get down to a 411 mile? Oh, boy. <laughs> You'd have a seizure before you get to a 411 mile. That's uh, called by Dylan Maggard. I'm probably not pronouncing that right, but yeah. I, I, it begs the question, why is Dylan Maggard not a one of the 11 sub four milers if he was wearing shorts? Uh, like, how does he have this exceptional skill in jeans, but we've never heard of this kid? <laughs> uh, let's see. So this must have happened, I'm assuming, in 2017 based off this article. He did this two days after finishing sixth NCAA, and then the article cut out. Uh, he ran at Utah State. All right. Um, apparently, the former world record was a BYU uh, runner, Rory Linkletter, uh, ran 416 in Provo, Utah. So there's something going on in Utah that these kids can just, A, you know, want to run in jeans, and B, find so much success in jeans? No. Uh, who who he, knew? So he broke, he broke the world record and the American record at the time because Rory Linkletter was Canadian uh, and oh, okay. the world record in 416. Um, and the American Spencer Brown, 416.38. Um, I mean, this is also done at, in Logan, Utah, 4,700 feet, so at, at altitude. It, it only sounds right that a Canadian should have held the record for the jeans mile. Uh, <laughs> maybe he was wearing like a Mountie hat while he was running that, you know, or like, you know, had a moose cheering him on in the infield. Uh, but yeah, I, I can't imagine you know, running that fast wearing jeans. So this article, which granted this was 2017, so it may have changed. It says his PR at the time uh, was 401.25. So very close to a sub four miler. I mean, to be able to do that would like just seconds of <laughs> a difference. That's that's uh, that's pretty impressive. Did them only cost you ten seconds? That's impressive. Uh, you know, I will tell y'all. You know, we and this came up in one of our podcasts. We were talking about what kind of records we could go for, uh, and and I made a claim that I went and investigated, and I did find that the 
Uh, the world record for a mile while carrying 100 pounds is 14.50. So I uh, have begun my training uh, to make a world record attempt at the 100-pound uh, extra uh, mile. And so, uh, you know, we'll be looking. Now, I, I think I need to pace myself, so I'm looking at something maybe in January uh, of next year. But, you know, we've already started doing a little bit of, uh, of mileage with some weights to see what can happen, and we're gonna we're gonna try to see if we can get that uh, 1450 knocked off of the record. How, how many different increments are there? Like I'm wondering, like can I like come in at 94 pounds and uh, set the world record for most weight carried at 94 pounds? Because you know, I, I would bet that there's something available to all of us uh, <laughs> in terms of those weights. Uh, I just I was just so impressed. I threw it out there that you know the other day. I just said, well, maybe you know. Come on, guys, what would happen if, if you carried 100 pounds? What's that record? And it was there. Like, I Googled it. It existed, you know. So somebody has already done it, and so now I've got to go and, and see if I can conquer this one. Um, I think it fits into the realm of, of, of fat people miles because uh, uh, I'm still rather large uh, and carry around a lot of weight. And so if I'm ever going to set some sort of track world record, uh, it's got to already have a starting point that's pretty mellow. <laughs> yeah, I think if I try to attempt your your world record thing here, I don't know if I would even finish. <laughs> and yet you could run three miles in the time it currently takes me to run one. Uh, so you know, <laughs> to, to each their own on that, Prasant. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> uh, I, I'd rather be, you know, uh, fit and ripped like you uh, with my same sense of humor than attempting this 100-pound world record. But, you know, we, we, we make the most out of the hand we've been dealt through that. All right, so we're going to now turn it over to Coach Faulting and let him uh, give a quick talk on what the um, current Louisiana cross country uh, running rules are going to look like for the summer. Uh, so he can dive into that. I am going. I can go and throw these dogs outside for a little while so they get to enjoy nature and uh, hopefully we don't hear them for the remainder of the podcast. So <laughs> I will be back momentarily while Coach Faulting uh, breaks in uh, these Louisiana cross-country rules from the LHSA. So, uh, you know, looking at the start, there's a lot of stuff going around. Uh, I'm in a, um, a coach's uh, Zoom meeting every Monday night with coaches all over the country, and so we're hearing different things. Um, you know, California is still on lockdown. They, they have no idea what California is going to look like, if they're going to try to have any seasons this year or not. There's, there's even talk in California about nothing really going for another year. Uh, and then Oklahoma goes uh, last week and releases that uh, summer practice can start in Oklahoma June 1st with no social distancing guidelines whatsoever. I feel like that's a bad idea. <laughs> uh, you know, I, it, it just is telling that this is the world we're in. Um, my friends in Arkansas tell me that practice can also start June 1st um, with a distance of six feet apart uh, for all of the non-running. And then I guess because of the expectorate, uh, 12 feet apart when they're, when they're running. Wow. Uh, so that gave us some interesting guidelines to look at to start with. Uh, Louisiana came out and released their guidelines. We had our meeting with the school. And so it's looking like for Louisiana, uh, we're going to start on June 8th. Uh, at the time on June 8th, because they want to be able to do um, uh, virus tracing, uh, each coach in Louisiana is allowed to coach 24 kids. And uh, so there's no, no more than a group of 25 counting the coach. And those 24 kids 
uh, need to have static grouping. So if I group them as one group of 24 kids, uh, that's fine. But if we had a 25th kid join the team, he can't come and train with them. Uh, he'd have to be in a separate group that either another coach worked with or that I worked with at a separate time. Uh, if we have kids that are dual sport athletes, uh, that would involve being in two unique groups. So for the summer, at least for the first phase, they can't jump ship and go to uh, the other sport. They have to pick what sport they're going to train with. Uh, during the time we're with those 24 people, we do have to practice social distancing, being six feet apart. Um, we, if we use any kind of implements, they have to be cleaned um, before a second person could touch them. Uh, in fact, even things like the weight room, uh, if you choose to use the weight room, you can only have one kid per rack. So you better be doing things that don't involve a spotter. If you choose to get in the gym, uh, you know, with a basketball or something, each kid needs to have their own basketball and you need to limit the kids who are shooting on a goal to one kid per goal so that, you know, if somebody shoots a ball, it doesn't bounce off and hit another kid and possibly, you know, contaminate them through, I don't know, magic. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, we are, we are starting out very strict uh, this summer. Um, you know, for, for my team coaching cross country, the biggest effect is the, the limiting of the group size. So we've, we've got to, kind of do some logistics things there. But as far as social distancing goes, you know, with cross country, we can practice that relatively simply. And, and I'm just grateful that we get to get back to coaching our kids, you know, whatever limit they were going to give us, um, you know, I can take. I'm, I'm grateful that our kids are not going to have to train in masks that are distance running. You know, I saw the horrible story about the guy whose lung collapsed while he was training with a mask on. Um, I'm not sure how that is possible, but but with that extreme, I don't want to risk it with my kids. So I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for what we get for right now. And um, we're supposed to be changing, uh, you know, toward the end of June into a different phase with a little less restrictions. So if we can, we can make it through the first month, um, you know, hopefully some more doors get opened up for us. Sounds like the wrestler at my current school who um, has his lung collapsed while running hills and claimed that the wrestling coach killed him not once but twice because technically he died twice on the operating table. So mm. <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> God. <laughs> and then he said that they were like, oh man, this never happens. And he said the very next year he was taking the final and the lung collapsed again. And he finished the final and went back. And he's like, they know me by name by now. <laughs> Yeah, I always like to tell tell my runners, like, look, you'll pass out before you die, um, you know, so, you know, if you get tired, you know, you'll, you'll be okay, uh, and then, you know, Rainbow, you tell me the story about the kid at your school who, who literally did both at the same time. I was going to say, that was his punchline, he was running hills, and the coach would always say, oh, it's not going to kill you, you know, and he's like, well, it didn't kill me once, it killed me twice, so. <laughs> well, the joys of wrestling. <laughs> so, but. But yeah, I will definitely, you know, uh, I'm very excited for us to get to be training in two weeks. Uh, I'm, I'm ready to be telling y'all training stories on here. Uh, and so, I'll Coach Falting, are you going to change any specific, like, training methods because of all of this? Or are you going to do the same sort of, like, mileage, you know, I, interval training? The, the simple part of, of training that we're going to change is um, – you know, Raybo just talked about, you know, how awesome, you know, our weightlifting program is and all the hard work that we put into that. Uh, we're going to scrap that <laughs> for now. Uh, so every kid in our program uh, has been training at home with a kettlebell uh, and a jump rope. And we're asking them to also buy a yoga mat. 
And that way on our two days a week that we get in the weight room, we're actually going to do it outside, uh, lay out our yoga mats. We're going to take them through some kettlebell routines that are um, uh, runner specific. Um, you know, the, the good thing about uh, kettlebells versus the Olympic lifts is you get a lot of things that mirror, you know, running movements with kettlebells pretty easily. Uh, so we're going to get out and do that. And if you touch someone else's kettlebell or yoga mat or jump rope, you're, you're going to go home for a week and quarantine. Uh, so this way, you know, if, if you think your item needs to be cleaned, uh, congratulations, you own it. No one else is touching it. You go home and clean it. You put as much sanitizer as you want on it. And then I'm, I'm not left to try to clean everything and micromanage uh, that and, and, and worry about, you know, if I'm possibly, you know, spreading the virus through things that we're, we're touching. Uh, so, uh, that's a big, big part of the, the change that we're going to do, but running wise, no, I mean, I've got a plan written up. Um, you know, every year I try to make a few small tweaks and, and figure out like, uh, where we were lacking in, in, in something, you know, or where we kind of missed the mark. And so I've, I've kind of written down, you know, the little tweaks for the year and we're ready to get this sucker going. Uh, I've been pretty blessed. I've got, uh, a small group of committed kids that for the last 10 weeks have been doing base building. Uh, so weirdly, because of the coronavirus, for those kids, they're farther along than we typically would be at this point. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're ready to, to fold in uh, tempos and fart looks, um, you know, and, and uh, do some sprint stuff. You know, we uh, we stole a hit routine from Great Oaks, California. They were uh, number two at NXN this year, and you know, the number two team, and they, they won it a couple years ago. But I mean, the number two team in the country, you know, has found a way to to do short sprints. Uh, in a way that's developing their athletes, you know, it's, it's a simple thing that we put in and we're going to add that little component this year. So. Sounds good. Yeah, I'm ready to do some, some sprint stuff on my own, but I'm, um, hampered at the moment. So. <laughs> Gotta love injuries. Maybe, maybe Prasant can help you with that, Rayla. <laughs> <laughs> if only I were in the same state you are. That's true. You're only a, a thousand miles away at this point, Prasant, so... <laughs> All right, so at this point, we generally have Prasant riff on dealing with the human body since he is the science expert among us, um, Coach Falting being the math and running expert, and I'm going to assign myself the beard-growing expert because that's about the only thing I have on these two guys um, <laughs> at this point in time. And that's so Prasant because he can't grow a beard, uh, but I, I have been working hard for the last, like, four months to try to catch you. Although every time I see you, I haven't gotten any closer. <laughs> <laughs> well, my hair, what's left of it, is growing in pretty, uh, pretty, pretty good. You know, if, if we just discount that front like six inches, you know, from the, the top of my head to my forehead, if I could grow it there as well as everywhere else, I'd be in business. But you look like a bearded RoboCop. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much a, an accurate description. <laughs> All right, Prasant, uh, I have I have hip flexor issues. I've been going to the chiropractor. Um, so so talk to me about what I should be doing. All right. So um, the biggest thing with hip flexors is figuring out whether or not you have a hip flexor tightness or if you have a hip flexor weakness. Because a lot of the times people will confuse one versus the other and they'll say, oh, I have really tight hip flexors. And so they'll just stretch and stretch those hip flexors and not strengthen them. But the problem is that they're weak. And so um, 
this is kind of technical to be talking about on a podcast, but you have to figure out your range of motion um, for your hip flexor. And if that's low, your problem is, is that you have tight hip flexors. But if you have good range of motion, you're still having problems, then you have weak hip flexors and you need to work on strengthening. So, so I really like that you pointed this out because this is something that I've, I've dove into the rabbit hole on this uh, myself. It's not the first time I've had hip flexor issues, definitely the worst I've ever had. Um, and I'm going to chalk most of it up to on my wife's 31st birthday. Uh, we ran 31 miles because uh, that's what she <laughs> wanted to do. Um, and at the time, uh, since I started my running streak in October, I've not I did not do like any strength training, weightlifting, which is always when my injuries occur. And it was mostly just out of sheer laziness on my part. Um, but that, that's typically for those of you listening at home, if you're a high school athlete or a runner and you're wondering why you're going to get injured, it's because you're not doing strength training. I can almost guarantee you barring, you know, you stepping in a hole or something. Um, so that, that's when all of mine happened, especially my worst ones. Um, so, you know, digging into this, uh, you know, I also did a, a fast workout, which was kind of when the pain began. So my chiropractor who I went and saw today, you know, his thoughts are it's, it's from the speed, which I, I'm not going to them, but I think that's kind of the, the straw that broke the camel's back more than anything. I did some 400 workouts, um, in the fall and, and didn't have any issue. And, and what I was doing in March wasn't really that much faster. So, um, you know, I, I found a site and it was a, actually a chiropractor's Instagram up while I'm talking so I can give it to you because this, uh, I shared it with Coach Falting. I saw that he follows him. It's probably the best resource I have found for any type of exercises geared towards specific parts. So whether you're looking for something for like IT band pain, which I've had in the past, if you're looking for something that's you know, um, hip pain, ankle pain, Achilles. I mean, they, they just have everything mapped out, anything you can imagine. Um, let me pull this up here uh, because I found some very interesting stuff on this because like Prasant said, uh, I was experiencing tightness. When it first happened, um, it was a full strain. I was limping. I was having trouble actually lifting my leg. Um, and then uh, after going to my chiropractor, my range of motion was fine. I can lift my knee up, no issues, no pain whatsoever. But there's tightness uh, during runs. And again, after a run, I have full range of motion. Um, and there's some delayed tightness throughout the day. And what I found from the site is a lot of times, if your hip flexor is tight, you think, oh, I need to stretch this because it's tight. And it's not actually the case. It's tight because it's weak. And so for me, for instance, I've been, you know, we talk about being inactive. I've been sitting a lot. You know, I'm not up at school, standing up, walking around, helping kids. I'm I'm sitting on my uh, chair in front of the computer. Well, that's shortening your hip flexors, um, and they're not being stretched out. They're shortened, and so combine combine that with you know strength training, and uh, my hip flexors are getting weak. And so stand up, they feel tight because they're actually weak, not because they need to be stretched. And so I found some exercises. Um, this. And if you want to follow it, it's at Dr. Dr. Period G I A R D A dot D P T. So this is a, um, I believe, a doctor of some. Let me 
doctor of physical therapy. Doctor of physical therapy, orthopedic clinic specialist uh, <clears throat> in the Woodlands, Texas. And his stuff, he has videos, diagrams. It's just uh, helped me out a good bit. Um, I did go today and, you know, one of the things I talked with my chiropractor about was like, I've been plateauing, you know, um, I, anytime I get under about nine minute pace, um, I can start feeling it tighten up. And anytime I get around six to eight miles, it definitely starts tightening up. And, you know, I was, I was feeling pretty frustrated about that, but he did tell me, he was like, you know, it's just, you're, you're kind of testing the waters. You got to find what you can do and, and what your body's going to adapt to. And he said, it's just like weightlifting. Um, you know, you're, you're going to push it to the point and then you let it recover. And then, you know, the next time you can push it a little bit further, he said, so when you're feeling it tightening, as long as you're not having delayed pain, as you're not having, you know, as you said, mobility issues, your range of motion isn't needed, then all you're really doing is kind of finding where your limit is. And if you can sustain it for a little bit and recover, it's going to improve the limit. So we're, you know, looking at some different options uh, of how my training is going to look. Uh, it's probably going to be adjusted somewhat. He did say like bike, uh, cycling, biking, and walking are two different things that should not be um, hurting at all. So considering I'm going to be doing, you know, a uh, hopefully doing an ultra that's going to feature a lot of climbing, hopefully some uphill hiking to kind of start developing, um, you know, that, that specific strength. And then just some cycling to kind of get outdoors um, on top of, you know, the, the few miles I am running will, will kind of be the key there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, leg raises are always a really good exercise for hip flexor strength. So. Yeah, this is uh, the one I've been doing is a lot of resistance band stuff. So I'll probably be actually doing a post for the, uh, the site about it. Uh, some other recovery things, you know, that, that you should get because uh, these resistance bands I have have been a lifesaver. Um, they're pretty cheap and they come in a variety of different, um, you know, strengths. And so you can buy a package of these and, and you can do a whole bunch of different mobility and, and kind of general strength exercises. that are going to help you out in the long run. So um, a lot of that stuff, leg raises, I've been hooking a five pound kettlebell on my foot and knee up to try to, you know, put some stress on um, some different things. Of course, my gyms are closed right now with this. So I'm not able to do really heavy lifts. I have about 50 pounds on like a, a bicep curl bar that I bought in like high school uh, that I've been like squatting and lunging with and stuff like that to try to um, strengthen, you know, hamstrings and quads to, you know, potentially take some of the strain off the hip flexor because, I, you know, you have weak muscles and other parts of your body are going to be taking over and, and doing their job. Um, so definitely excited about uh, stuff reopening whenever that is i think they said our gyms might be pushed back until like the end of june here in north carolina so uh, are you uh are you doing the uh, zoidberg when you put the bands on uh, i have been i've been doing the uh, the dr zoidberg for those of you who aren't drama fans is uh you take a band I, i've been doing it two different ways normally i used to do it just around my knees and now i've also been doing it around my ankles um, so you kind of, you, you drop into a, a little bit of a squat, doesn't necessarily have to be, but, you know, all the way to, um, 45 degrees, you can, you can have your, you know, knees bent and just drop a little bit. Um, excuse me, not 45. I'm generally probably around 45 degrees on my, uh, my knee bend, you know, my, my thighs to the ground. And then you, you scuttle sidestep, uh, you know, you work your and then back to your left with the band providing resistance. Uh, it's, it's very good for IT band pain as well, kind of working those adductor, adductor. Um, bonus points, you know, you put your hands up in the air and uh, 
clip your move your claws back and forth and and make the doctor's a zoidberg noise while you're doing it <laughs> you can tell we, we've done a lot of training over the years we, we've started to make things uh uh, as entertaining as possible so that nothing better than a bunch of high schoolers going down you know the the hallway to the weight room <laughs> my favorite is is when we we make them do star jumps and yell out i'm a star at the top of the jump uh, i i absolutely love it because you just watch these uh, these little kids uh you know with with not a lot of jumping ability get the deep squat pop up jump like a giant jumping jack and yell i'm a star the middle of it. I think the other good one, and I don't think we started this. We we definitely, and I'm sure if you're a cross country coach, you've had your fair share of characters. Uh, we've seen the attract the uh, the strange, uh, strange and different characters on our team. We had some boys who they would we would do bird dog, which is a move uh, Emma Coburn does a lot in some of her videos. Uh, you're kind of on all fours, and you you lift like your left hand out straight and your right leg back, so that you're kind of balancing on opposite arm and knee. Um, and so we had a group of boys that would start this chant and they would get like the whole weight room going and it was almost like a horror movie or cult where they would just go, bird, dog, bird, dog. <laughs> walk in and the whole weight room would be doing it. And it was, it was highly entertaining yet slightly um, terrifying at the same time. That same group of boys doing good mornings and chanting good morning, good morning, good morning. <laughs> Just over and over again. <laughs> uh, we we have a very unique group of people that come through our program. <laughs> but I will tell you this: that the reason that you know you can stick it out with coaching is that it's a uh, it's never dull. It is is one hundred percent entertaining all the time. Mm -hmm. well, all right, gang. Does anybody have anything else they'd like to wrap up with? I'm all out of words. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, I'm, I'm pretty pretty satisfied with the day. This, this has been good. All right. Well, this is the Wisdom of Coaches team. We thank you guys for tuning in for our third podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our site. Uh, sign up for the newsletter so you do not miss anything. Uh, I posted an article on Tuesday talking about why you should be seeking out a sports chiropractor. So make sure that you take a look at that and be on the lookout for articles from Coach Falting and Coach Persant this week as well. I hope you all had a safe and healthy Memorial Day weekend, and we will catch you guys next week.